0: My name is Jordan, and I'm a local pastor here at Church 21, New um, and I'm so grateful to be joining you all across the city of Montreal uh, this morning, and I have a few people. We're sub-10 here in the, uh, in the room we're streaming from, um, and so you might be hearing them as I'm preaching along this morning. I've encouraged them to, to, to be audible as well, which sort of, yeah, that's right, <laughs> helps me keep going. Um, but I, I also am going to, I just totally feel my dependence for the Lord right now, so I'm going to pray and ask for his help. Um, Holy Spirit. Um will you come? will you use these words? Will you anoint these lips? Will you uh, touch hearts, reach your people um, and anoint us and fill us with your spirit, O oh God, in Jesus name? amen so what you 're jumping into this morning is a message called Be filled with the Spirit, and this message is part of a sermon series that uh, we have crafted specifically for lockdown, which we 've called remodel, in that much in, much in the way that people are remodeling and renovating their homes during this time, we want to be thinking about how we can renovate and remodel our hearts during this time. Often when you remodel or renovate in your, your home, you're doing it because there's something that you, you want to change or there's something that needs to be changed. I would ask that same question of us. What do you think is your deepest need? Give yourself a second to think about that. If you were to answer it, it's actually a question that that Dwight asked last week as well. And as I was reading this past week, I read this, Jeremiah 29, 13. I love how it, it jumped out at me in the amplified version. I'll read it to you. It says this, then with deep longing, when you seek me and require me as a vital necessity And you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. I love that. God says, seek me as of vital necessity. You see, it's not that just I want more. It's that I need more. Having God is a vital necessity. Our deepest need, then, is not, as much as I would love it, a vacation abroad. Our deepest need is not ultimately a vaccine. It's not even ultimately that we're in wider community or that we have financial stability or we get out of this lockdown. All of those things are great things, but our deepest need is actually that we are filled with God. Our heart's filled with God, and that's what we're talking about today, and that's what's possible through His Holy Spirit. You know, as I was preparing this message, and I was telling the room this earlier, I think more than any message I've prepared in the past three years, it's this message that has pressed on me more critically, more, and also at the same time, more excited about it because of how much this has personally affected my walk with the Lord as I've entered into this. Let me share some of my story with you. After McGill, uh, God opened the door for me to to go study, Um, do a certificate in pastoral theology in Oxford. And while we were there, there was a variety of guest speakers that would come in and and speak with our program. And I remember one in particular, his name was Medad Barangi, he was from Uganda. And they introduced him as the, the Billy Graham of East Africa. And he had these stories that were like straight out of the book of Acts. He's written his, his story in a book. You could, you could get it. But in short, his story involved uh, terrible rejection from a young age from his father. He was in terrible poverty because of that and in bitterness. And he actually got to a point in his life where he had made a, a hit list that included his father... And he was on his way in his life to carry out that on on a bus and the presence of God encountered him and he was struck right down and he confessed his sin, he repented of his sin and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And instead of going to go kill those people, he actually went and forgave those people starting with his father. And the Spirit of God began to move. And repentance and confession and people began to turn to Jesus and there was all sorts of things that took place. Tens of thousands of people encountered Jesus starting with what happened there that day. And at the end of this session, dad tells his story. He says, you know, I've talked about in this being filled with the Spirit. And he said, if you want me to pray with you one-on-one, I'd love to pray with you after. That you could have more of God. That you could be filled with the Spirit. And I was listening to that, and I thought, I don't know, like, I do want more, but I was kind of skeptical. What, is he, what does he think? Does he just sort of like dispense the Holy Spirit? What did Paul mean by being filled with the Spirit? And so I wasn't sure, and I just sort of felt uncomfortable, so, so I left. I went back to the residence that I, I lived in. Some of my, my classmates stayed for prayer, but I left. And I went home, and I, and I was really wondering about this. Even more concerning were things like this. Jesus' words in John 16, 7, where he says, It is to your advantage that I go away. It is to your advantage that I go away, says Jesus, because if I do not come, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. And I was like, what did Jesus mean that it is to our advantage that he go away? I mean, I appreciate, as a Christian, I appreciate having the Holy Spirit, but man, if I could have Jesus here with me personally, like healing and teaching and counseling me. Wouldn't that be better to me? Like basically I would read this and I felt like either either Jesus is wrong or I'm missing out big time here. And what I found was that it's true. I was wrong. And I was missing out big time on what the Spirit had to offer. The text we read this morning says, Be filled with the Spirit. And so to do that today, we're going to look at who the Holy Spirit is, and then what does it mean to be filled with him, why be filled with him, and how be filled with him. So we'll start with, who is he? Who is the Holy Spirit? In short, he's God's personal presence. You see him right at the beginning of time, in creation, Genesis 1, he's hovering over the waters of chaos and creation. The word used for him in in Hebrew is the same for for breath, and it conveys that idea of, well, invisible, but also life-animating presence of God. And as God speaks more in Scripture, we find that the Spirit is the one he brings, the supernatural courage and and, and boldness and and power and, and knowledge and creativity. And then with the coming of Jesus, it becomes even more clear that, well, the Spirit is God. He's also distinct from, um, he's also distinct as a person of God. You see, the Holy Spirit is God, and you see that in places like um, Ananias in Acts chapter 5. He lies to the Holy Spirit, and Peter says to him, You have not lied to man, but to God. Or you see the Holy Spirit, he's described with chari- characteristics that only belong to God. He's described as the eternal Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is God. But you also see the Holy Spirit is a distinct person from the Father and from the Son. You see this, for example, the baptism of Jesus. There's Jesus in the water and the Spirit hovering over him. And then the Father who speaks. And so the Holy Spirit, well, he's distinct from Jesus in the water. He's distinct from the Father who speaks. So you have one God with three distinct persons. That's the nature of God. But as you go on, you also find that this Holy Spirit, he can be grieved. He can be hindered, that he has a will, and a part of his will, he actually wants to have fellowship with the believer, with the Christian. And now, everything I'm saying here might, to you, start to sound like a sort of Theology 101 lesson, right? But let me say that this has real impact. Because for much of my life, I would think things, Or I'd pray things like, you know, Lord, send your spirit. Send it to us. We need it now. (laughs) The whole time, right? Completely lost. Completely lost to the way that I was thinking of the spirit, the way that I was relating to the spirit, as an it, as a force, as something to be manipulated rather than someone to be enjoyed, someone to relate to, right? Celebrate with. And so the Holy Spirit is not an it, he is not a force, he is personal. You actually see this in the life of Jesus, right Right through from the beginning to the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, okay? The beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry starts with him at the baptism, like we saw Jesus, he comes out of that be- baptism, it says, filled with the Spirit, and from there he begins his ministry, goes through temptation through his life all the way to the cross, then resurrection, and then at the end of his ministry, before he ascends to heaven, he says, I will send, he promises, I will send my spirit to you. And when he comes, baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? So the beginning and the end of Jesus' ministry, his earthly ministry, we see the work of the spirit. And that same spirit that Jesus promises, at Pentecost, he comes. We read this in Acts 2, two. There came a sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the house in which they were sitting. Here you see the idea of wind or breath again, and it fills the house they were sitting. There are these believers, believers in Jesus, and they're sitting there scared and timid, and suddenly the Spirit falls down upon them, and they are made bold witnesses of the message of Jesus and they go out in front of all the people, thousands of people proclaiming who Jesus is and people are convicted by that same spirit in their, in their inner selves, in their hearts, repent, turn to Jesus, are baptized and added to the church that day by thousands. That is what happens when the spirit comes down. And it's all possible because of what Jesus has done. Between the beginning and the end of his earthly ministry, he does something that makes it possible for the Spirit to take up residence in our hearts. Now, what is it that Jesus did to make it possible for the Spirit to take up residence in our hearts? Well, it's his work on the cross. Let me unpack it like this. You know, Friday I was talking to somebody on the phone, and they were talking quite quickly to me. And I said, oh, yeah. and they, you know, this person is like Teflon, and I'm like, yeah, 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 and we keep talking, and I get to the, you know, the end of the conversation, and I hang up. I'm like, still thinking, this person is like Teflon. Like, what do they mean by that? And then I was like, oh, like right, the the non-stick pan. They're saying this person is like Teflon. They're saying like, this guy's like hard, like nothing sticks to him. Well, nothing you say sticks to him. I was thinking like, yes, like our hearts are like that to the plans and purposes of God, aren't they? Our hearts are like Teflon. They're like hard and resistant to the plans and the purposes of God. I mean like sometimes they're a bit warmed by him. It like sort of sticks, but then in the end it just sort of like falls off. Like we're just warmed by his presence. There is no real like rooting sticking in it, if you know what I'm saying. (laughs) Why is this the case? Why is it that our hearts are hard like Teflon? It's because ultimately we think our plans and our purposes are better than the plans and the purposes of the God who created us. We think our whims are better than his word. And the result of this kind of behavior before the Lord of all creation, the holy God, is that our hearts have become deathly corrupt that's what sin is. This is what unholiness is, what the Bible talks about. Our hearts are hard. They're unable to receive God. And also our hearts, at the same time as our hearts being hard, the Holy Spirit, because he is holy, he cannot reside in our hard, corrupted hearts. His, Our corruption and his holiness do not go together. There are also sort of a non-stick Teflon thing going on there. And so what we need is not a Teflon hard heart, but soft hearts. And it's only the Spirit of God that can come in and come on to a heart that is hard and make it soft and alive again. And this is the promise that the prophet Ezekiel gave thousands of years ago in Scripture. It says this, Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. I'll remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And so this is what the death, resurrection of Jesus can accomplish for us. It's essentially a heart transplant that needs to take place. And like any heart transplant, there's a death involved. Someone had to die. But death was not the end for Jesus. Death was not the end of Jesus because death was not what Jesus deserved. See, death was what we deserved Not what he deserved. He was pure. He was holy. He was pure and full of the eternal spirit of God. And so what happens is that because of that, death could not hold him. No, it was the eternal spirit of God that he was full of. And so God raised him up again by that same spirit. And so he has a new body, a new flesh, a new life by the eternal spirit of God. And so now, what Jesus can do for us, who have Teflon hard hearts, is he can give us the heart transplant that we so desperately need. He can give us his heart. And so that we are not dead, but filled with his life-animating presence. Our hearts are not hard, but they come soft and receptive to the plans and the purposes of God. Our hearts are not corrupt but they are made holy and able to be residents to his Holy Spirit. This is why we need his work on the cross for us. This is why it's so critical that that took place so that we can receive the Holy Spirit. But before I move on, let me ask you this. Have you received that heart transplant? See, that's an absolutely gutting thing that has to happen. It's absolutely gutting, but it's absolutely necessary. It's completely, it is, like we said, a vital necessity that you know God. If you sense in your spirit an urging now, an urging, yeah, that's true. My heart is before a holy God corrupt. My heart is before a holy God hard and nonstick. Man, cry out to him. If you feel that sense like, I need to get right with God, don't wait. That is the spirit of God that brings that conviction to you. Turn to him and he will give you a heart of flesh. See, what happens is incredible. What happens is that we have this human spirit and what happens is that this divine spirit of God comes down and it, it, it touches, but it doesn't just touch. It unites with our human spirit and it makes it alive. And that's what Christians mean when they talk about being indwelt by the Spirit. This is what indwelling is. It's union with the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 9 says this, You are not in the flesh, but in in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. The Spirit of God dwells in every real believer. This is an indwelling that happens once at conversion, but is permanent. You see this in Ephesians 1.13. It says, when you believe the gospel, it says, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the guarantee of your inheritance. The guarantee of your inheritance. The Holy Spirit is permanent and guarantees our inheritance with Christ. And so to the believer, to the one who has received the Holy Spirit, who's united with God in his love, the Spirit becomes to them a teacher, a counselor, a friend, a guide, the spirit of truth. All of these things he is able to bring to us, conviction of our own sin, bring us deeper and deeper into the life of God, ultimately bring glory to him. This is amazing. He lives inside you. This is who the Holy Spirit is. This is the first point I'm trying to make. This is what the believer has in Christ How incredible is that? And all of this background that I'm giving, all of this background, who you have in Christ, this is what Paul, this sets us up for what Paul is saying in Ephesians 5 and verse 18, the scripture we read at the beginning. Because Ephesians 1 through 3 are just that. This is what you have in Christ. And then in Ephesians 3 verse 1, Paul makes this transition from this is what you have in Christ to this is what you may have in Christ. (laughs) He says it like this, therefore I urge you, Walk, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. This is Paul's way of saying that Christ, he's done everything already for us. Then be who you are in Christ. Walk it out. <laughs> be who you are. <laughs> it's so profound. And so as part of this call to be who you are, appropriate everything for you, uh, appropriate everything that Jesus has won for you at the cross. He has this verse in verse 18. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. What does it mean to be filled? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Um, You remember, this is the question that I was I was struggling with uh, that day in Oxford. And on one hand, I was wondering, well, The offer of more of the Holy Spirit, that seems just sort of like an elitist or holier-than-thou thing. Maybe the filling and the indwelling of the Spirit, those are just maybe metaphors for the same thing. And then on the other hand, I was saying, well, if all Christians are filled, then why do I feel so timid and dry? Why is it that we Christians don't look at all like the Christians that were in the New Testament? There's got to be more than this. (laughs) <laughs> and I was left wrangling with that, and here's what I discovered. Having the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit are not the same thing. Let's look at the image that Paul uses here in Ephesians. Paul uses the image of uh, of filling, right? You can think of a vessel that before you become a Christian, it's as if you are a self-created vessel, right? You've sort of, you're, you're self-willed, you're self-formed, and you own you. You're the, you're the authority and the Lord over your own vessel. But what happens is that when you become a Christian, it's as if the Lord himself, that like God breaks you and he reforms you. He, he remodels you, if we're going to use our, our sermon metaphor here. He remodels you, and you have a new identity in Jesus. You have a new authority. He is the owner of your vessel, right? Right? And that's what indwelling represents, that, that it is the Lord that has ownership over you. But you can see that being owned by God and being filled by God then are two different things. You need to be filled by him. Jesus he, you, he speaks of this when he speaks to the woman at the well, he says this, "I will bring you water that you will never be thirsty again. And not only will you never be thirsty again, you will be a spring of water welling up to eternal life." You see, the image here of the person is of a person who is so satisfied by God that they're not just satisfied for themselves, but they're overflowing with the life of God. Jesus goes on to say in John chapter 7 that for those who will believe in him, out of their heart will flow rivers of living water. This he said to refer to the Holy Spirit. Jesus, in other words, is saying it is possible to be so satisfied with God that you're just overflowing with his goodness and with his grace and with his love. And this is why Paul is saying this To Christians, Christians, yes, who were indwelt by the Spirit, but he's saying to them, don't just rest in your indwelling. Be filled with the Spirit. He's commanding them that. Be who you are. You are already holy before God. Now, step into that. Appropriate that and be filled with the holy presence of God. What's another place we see this? From Acts 2 to Acts 4, right? Right? The Spirit, in Acts 2, we saw, they pray. The Spirit comes down and fills the believers. And then Acts 4, they pray again. And the Spirit, it says, it comes down, it shakes the place they're all in. In Acts 4, they were all filled the Holy Spirit again, right? So you can see that the filling of the Holy Spirit is a repeatable thing in the life of the Christian. (laughs) It's amazing. But let me, at this point, make a few clarifying comments, if you'd have it. You might have heard terms like uh, the baptism of the Spirit and uh, the second blessing from our our Pentecostal friends, referring to this experience of being filled with the Spirit. And as Christians, uh, yes, we believe that you can be filled with the Spirit here at Church 21. As Christians at Church 21, yes, we do believe that experience is very real. The way that we would differ from our Pentecostal friends is that we believe the filling of the Spirit is not just a one-time thing. It's actually a repeatable Uh, thing. There's a famous way that I've heard this been said. It's, you know, yes, I believe in the second blessing. It comes after the first, and it's before the third. And so, if you're one of our Pentecostal friends listening to us this morning, let me just encourage you with this. Like, you know, God's not done with you yet. Be encouraged by that, you know. Keep going back to Him in dependence on Him, and He can fill you afresh again and again. Being filled with the Spirit is an ongoing, repeatable Thing And I just hope you get from all of this, and I hope you see from the words of Jesus, from the words of Paul, right, from the words in Ephesians, from what happens in Acts, that this is possible. Like, you need to hear that this is possible possible. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a deepening sense of the manifest presence of God in your life. It is not just something for the spiritually elite. It's not just something for Jordan the pastor. It's not just for something for some monk or mystic in a convent a thousand years ago on some other convent. No, this is for you and this is possible cry out to him. Guys, cry out to him. Get a sense of the fresh dependence you need from the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul meant when he said, be filled with the Spirit. Oh man, we need that, don't we, right now? I'm going to get to the end of how you can be filled with the Spirit. I almost feel like I just need to jump into it right now. But practically, before we get too excited, what does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? Let's look at how Paul describes it. Acts, or sorry, Ephesians five, verse 17 to 21. I'm going to go verse by verse. Verse 17, he says, "Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit, and then night oh sorry, this, that was 18. and then 19. He's now going to describe what it looks like, addressing one another in psalms, in hymns and spiritual songs. So there you have corporate worship, the church singing together, excited about God. (laughs) And then he goes on, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. I mean, if you have the church corporately worshiping God, this is you individually worshiping God. I mean, what better time to do that than now, in a lockdown, you alone, still able to make melody in your heart before the Lord, worshiping Him for who He is. It's sort of like... It's like regardless what happens to us, guys, there's like this note when you're filled with the spirit of sustained joy that runs, that's always playing in the background. That means that, you know, instead of looking in, right, and being consumed by ourselves and our own needs, our self-pity, which is so easy to do when we're locked down with ourselves in a pandemic, instead of all that, our eyes, what being filled with the Spirit does is it fixes our eyes on Jesus, the giver of all good and the giver of all gifts, and it makes our hearts grateful and moves them to worship the Lord. So it looks like individual worship, it looks like corporate worship, verse 20, giving thanks always for everything to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you see this idea being continued, this ongoing deep gratitude uh, to the Father. Um, and then verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This might be something that you might not associate with being filled with the Spirit, but actually... You see what this is entailing. Being filled with the Spirit is not just for like you and your own little individual. No, it has this, this overflowing, outworking effect such that it transforms the nature of your relationships and makes them healthy and function properly. Paul goes on to talk about uh, submission in the context of a marriage, of a man and a wife, or of parents to children, or of slaves to masters. So it has this overflow effect. Being filled with the Spirit affects your relationships. And then in chapter 6, I'm not going to go into this in detail, but Paul talks about um, standing in authority against Satan, having the whole armor of God on, that being filled with the Spirit enables us to do that, and then finally praying in the Spirit in chapter 6 and verse 18. And so all of these together, all of these different things together, they're practical examples of what Paul says, this is what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit, that there is joy, and there is worship, and there is gratitude, and there is healthy relationships, and there is standing up against Satan in authority and taking back hell and Spirit-infused prayer. All of that together is what being filled with the Spirit looks like. Yeah, so awesome. Oh, man. So, but this raises a really good question. Is Paul saying that being filled with the Spirit is an experience? This makes us pretty giddy here. Like, oh I Well, let me say this. (laughs) It certainly is an experience, but it isn't just an experience. It is an experience, but it isn't just an experience. Because as you and I know, experiences can be fabricated. I could load this place up instead of with a few people, right, listening, I could fill it with you know lasers and smoke machines and a hype band and really loud music and all that kind of stuff, and you get really excited. But let me say, being super excited and being filled with the Spirit are just not the same thing, right? <laughs> um, you can be filled with excitement, for sure. That might be an outworking of be filled with the Spirit. But those sorts of things on their own are not what it means to be filled with the Spirit. You can also do psychological manipulation. You could, like, hyperventilate. You could, like, hire a hypnotist. I don't know. Or Satan. He can do copycat, demonic sort of stuff that mimics spiritual activity. All of this stuff can be mistaken for what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And this is actually what happens when you make it only about an experience. That's why I say it's not just an experience. It's actually something deeper than that that has that effect, that outward It'll also affect your experiences. Um, one of the places you see this, of course, is what we are looking at in December. This is the parable of the sower. He talks about how seeds fall on stony ground, and some of those seeds, right, the ones on stony ground, they receive it, it says, with joy. There's like a lot of excitement about the message uh, of Jesus or anything associated with that, and yet what happens when the trials really come, when the corona pandemic comes or suffering comes or whatever, they're gone. They fall away. There's no fruit. They die. And so being filled with the Spirit is more than an experience. Um, This week I was looking at Jonathan Edwards. He wrote a whole book on this. He saw incredible uh, revival in New England. And he wrote a whole book on this called uh, Religious Affections. And he essentially, let me try and sum it up, he says that uh, true affections are being so consumed with the love of God for his love and his goodness and his beauty for its own sake, right? <laughs> it's not about you. <laughs> it's not about you. It's all about him. And true affections will be, you know, it, it'll show itself in that way, that you care about him and his kingdom, and the things that oppose that, you are against those things, and you hate those things. You hate evil. That's what true affection Looks like, and so is being filled with the Spirit uh, an experience. Well, it's it's more than that. It, It but it does affect our emotions, yes. But it also affects our minds and our wills and our inclinations. All of those together, united and consumed with an overflowing love. Of God, really practically, what does this mean? Like in, in in like a church setting, right? This could be mean that like you have you have one person who is like weeping tears of repentance at, re, you know, well, I guess not repentance, but they're weeping tears at the pulpit, and then they go away and they they sleep around or they scam the CRA, and you have another person who is like stoic in their chair, and yet the spirit is doing this deep internal work in their hearts, and it's a real one. It brings transformation. So it's really hard. What I'm trying to say by that is, it's really, really hard to judge by appearances. So be careful of judging uh, people's experiences in the spirit. And I would say this especially for those, um, I don't know why in particular, but the the gift of tongues in particular is one of those things. It just seems to, for some people, be almost a, a, a distinguishing thing that they set up between themselves and other Christians and become a form of spiritual pride. And I love the gifts of tongues. It's a way that. The Spirit is able to exhort me. But Paul says of the spiritual gifts, you know, some have this gift and some have this gift, some have this gift. Nowhere does he say this gift in particular, unlike all the other ones, is for everyone. So watch out for that sort of, the sort of projection onto other people about what being filled with the Spirit um, is supposed to look like. So it is more than the experience, but you hear in what I'm saying. It's also not really less uh, than an experience, okay? Um, I like to think of, uh, you know, when I go to the dentist. Sometimes they say, like, you know, you're not going to feel this. Uh, suspect the dentist when they say you're not going to feel this. <laughs> um, <laughs> former, this is what a former pastor of mine used to say. He says a, a non-experiential religion is suspect, and that it fails to deal with the totality of your being. A non-experiential religion is suspect, and it fails to deal with the totality. Of your being. See, what I'm saying is if you have never experienced affection for God, I would be concerned, all right? This is like, uh, this is a little red beacon light. This is like a warning light saying, uh, your spirituality is not impacting the totality of your being. You are called to love God with your whole heart and your whole strength and your whole mind together. <laughs> like, that is going to have an effect. And let's be honest, I have... In particular, I don't know why, but I've talked to a number of men who are in situations like this, and they'll say to me things like like this, and sorry guys to, you know, kind of break it open and bring it out in the open here, but this is what I've heard, okay? <laughs> They'll say things like, well, women are just more likely to experience God than guys in this way. They're just more inclined to be passionate in this way. And let me just say to that, no. <laughs> like, honestly, no. And, it is, and I say that, like, I'm qualifying this. It's true. Some personalities are more reserved. But I have seen many of these same men Okay? Super giddy and excited because they've just entered into a relationship. Are super stoked because their team has just qualified for the finals. Okay? And so be careful about making excuses based on gender or personality for what the Spirit is able to do in you. And this is what I had let happen to me. I had let the poverty of my experience determine what God was said was possible. Jesus does say in John, I think it's 1431, I will manifest myself to you. Let me tell you a bit more about um, my time in Oxford that day, okay? So I go back to my residence. I'm like, I don't know what I feel about this. I'm wrestling with it. I go downstairs from my bedroom to get a cup of tea, and I bump into a couple of my classmates who've just come back from one-on-one prayer with, with my dad. And they're like, Jordan, why did you leave? Like, that was so it was so wonderful for him to pray with me. Nothing in particular happened. But you you talk about being open to the spirit, don't you? Like, don't you believe there's more? And I'm like, I'm wrestling this. And they're like, Jordan, and a little bit of peer pressure, and I'm like, fine, I'll go back and I'll see if he's still there. So I walk back to the classroom, and there's my dad. He's coming out. There's a taxi sitting there, he's coming out the door. And I, I come out, I said, will you pray for me? He's like, oh, oh, brother, the taxi's here, but yes, let me pray for you, one minute. And I, he's like, okay. And he takes my hands and he begins to pray for me. And I don't hardly have words to describe what happened in that moment. But my goodness, it was like I was holding on to an electrical socket. I, ha- I couldn't even, he was praying prophetically over me, but I couldn't even describe what was happening. I had to open my eyes and look down because it felt like all of heaven was unleashed through my arms and just igniting my body. And I had this incredible, incredible incredible sense of the eminent presence of god that he was ever so real and it completely blew my mind and began to change the whole outlook that god went from being in my heart someone that i just knew about to someone that i knew he's he's not just for the mind he's for the heart he's for all of life and it was so much more than just an experience because it was actually an encounter with the living god and I'm not trying to give this experience to be like, this is normative. This is what has to happen to you in particular. You need someone to pray whose name is Madad Barangi from Uganda. It's not about that. It's just about the fact that it's so much more than an experience, but it is not less than and experience god can be known and you can be filled with the spirit and this is a repeatable ongoing thing in the life of the christian i have known his presence again and again in my life and it's not always a heat it's not always a tingling sensation it's not always i gotta put my hands up or the weight of like a pressing weight that's so hard to describe but you just like can't get out of your chair you can't stand up because his glory is so heavy on you but all of these are real evidences of what the spirit of god can actually do and our midst, as crazy as it sounds, right? That we're dealing with a supernatural God here, and he is able to affect time and space and you. And I've already said all of this stuff, yes, it can be manipulated, but I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. I went in for that prayer expecting nothing because I didn't believe my friends, okay? Anyway, John Piper sums up a lot of what I've been trying to say here in this one beautiful paragraph, so I'll read it to you to end my point. He said, what we seek, and this applies to all Christians, is that God pour out his spirit upon us so completely that we are filled with joy, victorious over sin, and bold to witness. And the ways he brings us to that fullness are probably as varied as his people are. It may come in a tumultuous experience of ecstasy in tongues. It may come through a tumultuous experience of ecstasy, but no tongues. It may come through a crisis of suffering when you abandon yourself totally to God or it may come through a steady diet of God's word and prayer and fellowship and worship and service. However it comes, our first experience of the fullness of God is only the beginning of a lifelong battle to stay filled with the Spirit. Which brings us to our next point. Why be filled? I almost feel like I don't even need to say this here. But it's, we're, we're, we're talking about being filled with the Spirit. We're talking about being filled with God. God. We need God. That's why we need to be filled. And not only, not just for what he can give us, but for him himself. It's a vital necessity to us. And the contrast in verse 18 of, with being drunk, that's, that's what's key here. I mean, why do people go to the bottle, right? This is why we need to be filled. Why do they go to the bottle? They're looking for escape, right, from their problems. They're looking for joy. They're looking for comfort. And what Paul is saying is, go to the Holy Spirit instead. Whatever alcohol can give you, the Holy Spirit can give you so much better than that. Just turn to me. Like, you don't need this stuff to escape your problems. You need power over these kind of problems. And that's what the Holy Spirit can bring you. This stuff won't give you real lasting joy and comfort. You need me for real satisfaction, lasting joy and comfort, just like that woman woman at the well. Oh, a well in you, welling up to eternal life. That can't be stopped. That's what the Spirit can bring you. God is so, so good. He's kind. He's gracious towards us, and this is this is actually what's on offer to us. It's, it's just incredible. What other word can I say to this? When you're filled with the Spirit, you'll find yourself changing—a new nature, a new heart, new desires, new ways of seeing things. Right? It's like your will just begins to collapse into His will. It's like your mind begins to just sort of. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The word illuminated, and you find the things that concern you are the things of Christ in his kingdom, and not whatever kingdom you're trying to build. You find your affections aligned to him, his joy, his peace, his boldness for witness, all of this stuff. Man, most importantly, though, mind, will, heart, affections change. Most importantly, you find more of him. You're filled with more of him. You're filled with more of the glory of God and that overflows and that begins to change the world Wow! <laughs> to the point right we look forward to the point where the glory of God covers the earth like the waters cover the sea and we get to have a little taste of that by being filled with the Spirit in his glory and letting that overflow isn't that incredible that's why be filled with the Spirit And so finally, how do I be filled? I bet some of you were listening to this pretty, you can't wait. (laughs) I can't wait either. When it comes to the Spirit, how can we wait? Let me start with what's most important here. The Holy Spirit, remember this, guys. The Holy Spirit is a person. We are asking the question, how can I be filled with a person? See, I'm about to give you three pointers here. But the wrong way to take these three pointers would be to the, like these are three ways to like configure the pipe so it comes out real strong, right? Yeah. Or these are like three coins you put in a machine so the filling can come out. No, we're talking about being filled with a person, okay? So this is a, think of it not like putting three coins in the machine and out comes the Holy Spirit, but a lot more like a marriage. You need to spend time with him in prayer, in his word right, getting to know him for who he is, enjoying him, delighting in him, rejoicing in him. Do you know what it says in Zephaniah 3? It says he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing that he sings over your soul. What do you think it means to sing in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs? Man, that's your heart rejoicing for who he is and what he's done, and it's him singing over you in harmony at the same time. Enjoy him for who he is. Get to know him for his own sake. We're talking about being filled with a person. And so what are those three pointers I'm going to give? First, know this is God's will for you. Know this is God's will for you. This is how you can have more of the Spirit when you already have everything in Christ. This is essentially a call to be who you are. You are no longer in ignorance about what God commands for us to have. (laughs) You know, some of you might be earlier have listening to what I'm saying on the Holy Spirit, the theology of Him, and you've never actually been warmed by Him. Right? Your affections have never been worn by him. You, you know him in, uh, then as, as, like a, as a doctrine, but not as a person. And so if that's you, why don't you start by telling him that? I've never known you as a person. I've talked about you as an it. I've thought about you as a force that I can just call on when I need you. Lord, that was wrong. <laughs> I'm sorry, Will you come, will you, you become personal to me? Will your spirit become personal to me? Because it's not about me knowing all the right theology like that. Because if it doesn't work itself in me knowing out and in me knowing you better, that, was, that wasn't good. That wasn't intended in the right way. See, it's not about me being smart. It's not about me being a smart vessel. It's not about me even being like a big vessel. It's about me being an open vessel. Before you. So, Lord, make me an open vessel before you. This is also not for the spiritually elite. We talked about that. God, it's quite the opposite. I was reading this week um, some stories about revival, and it's amazing. God delights to part his spirit on the least of these. And the Scottish uh, Hebrides, 1949, it started with, get this. One blind woman and one frail woman, so arthritic that she couldn't, they both couldn't go to church. And they were concerned about the state of their parish, concerned the fact there was no young people in the parish. And so they said this, we can't attend the meetings, but we can attend heaven. And after months of prayer and agony through the nights, they saw the Spirit of God break out amongst them. Or it's like Dwight shared last week, an eight-year-old girl standing up and saying, if no one else will say it, I must confess, I do love my Lord Jesus. Or it's a black preacher at who's Housa Street in California, right? See, God is not looking for big vessels. He is looking for open vessels. Believe this is what he wants for you. This is his will for you. You don't have to be in doubt about that anymore this is God's will for you. Next, confess all known sin and receive the forgiveness of Jesus. Confess all known sin and receive the forgiveness of Jesus. You see, Jesus is not looking for fancy vessels. He is looking for clean vessels. We must not forget that this is the Holy Spirit that we're talking about here. Psalm 24 reads like this. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god, they will receive blessing from the Lord. This is the Holy Spirit. So as you come to him, come to him asking for clean hands, asking for his pure heart to be given to you, which he does extend to you. So all you need to do is confess to him all known sin because your sin grieves his spirit. And when you confess your sins to him, know that he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you. From all unrighteousness, to give you the clean hands you need so that you can receive blessing from the Lord. I love how this hymn expresses the forgiveness of, call, uh, of God. It's called Here is Love, Vast as the Ocean. The second verse reads like this. On the mount of crucifixion, fountains open deep and wide. Through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above and heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. May you know the love of Christ and the grace of Christ like a mighty river in your soul today. And may you be filled with his presence to the point that it overflows. Confess your sin to him and know the forgiveness of God to you. And then three, pursue him, the filler. Pursue him, the filler. See, I can drag you into church. Maybe not now, but normally. I could drag you into church, but I cannot drag you into the presence of God. This is something of you. You must surrender yourself to him. And it is an ongoing thing. It is a a daily thing that you must pursue surrender and dependence on God. Jesus Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 11 that we are to ask, seek, and knock for the good gift of the Holy Spirit. And so the Spirit of God is something, his filling is something that we, we pursue. And we're to be zealous in that. And I know firsthand, man, we do not live always as filled people, right? That's just part of being in a fallen world. And yet it is something that we are called to pursue. And so what are we to do when we're apathetic and dull? Well, Romans 12, 11 says this, Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. And so ask the question, well, what, if I'm feeling dull, if I'm feeling apathetic, well, what else is, is filling me right now. If I'm not filled with the Spirit, then what am I filled with? <laughs> what is dulling me? What, what what is it? What is that thing? Because I'm to be fervent in Spirit. I'm to be pursuing Christ. And so whatever it is that's getting in the way, that needs to be broken off. That needs to be cut off. And I need to do it whatever way that needs to happen. And so I need to pray into that thing. I might need to fast from that thing. It might even be a good thing. But if it's not the Holy Spirit, especially if it's getting in the way and hindering the Holy Spirit, even if that thing is a good thing, there's no way that that good thing is better than the Holy Spirit, who is the greatest one. He is God himself. So cut it out. It's not worth it. Jesus prunes us in order so that we bear fruit. And so that we can grow up into him. This is the whole thing that John talks about, where We have to decrease that he might increase in us. His lordship, it takes over our lives. This is what it means in Galatians 5 where it says, walk in the spirit and you will not satisfy the desires of the flesh. There's an expulsive power to the presence of God in our lives. When we are filled with the spirit, it's just like it squeezes right out the door. And that is what we need, is it not? And so we are to pursue him. We are called to be full. And yet the spirit is the filler in it. And so what I'm saying essentially is all of what I'm giving you is like a sort of get out of the way, right? (laughs) Get out of the way so that he can fill you. So pursue the filler. Confess all known sin and receive his forgiveness and know that this is God's will for you. Let me end on this. We are in a critical time. We need to be filled with the Spirit. We need God to pour himself out on us. And I know for that to happen that there needs to be prayer. There needs to be much agonizing and desperation of heart for God to move in our midst again. And so what we're doing is we're opening up different locations in the city for prayer. Max 10 people, but we want to be able to do this in South Shore. We're going to be able to do this in NDG. We might be able to do this in, in, in Verdun. We're still looking into that. But maybe you're at a point here where we, we've been talking about all of this stuff, man, like prayer and fasting and confession and, and, and revival and being filled with the Spirit, and you're just left like thinking, like, I don't know where I sit. I'm skeptical of this, and I don't, I don't know where you are, In that. I don't know if I'm, you know, when I say this, you're like, yes, that's me, or not. But I know for myself that for a long time, I was super hesitant to pray for this kind of stuff. I was super hesitant about being filled with the Spirit, but I was also super hesitant about the idea of revival because I didn't want to be disappointed. Like, if I pray for this and I pursue this and it doesn't come through, then, then I'm just going to be left feeling super, like, disappointed with God or something. But here's the thing, guys. If that's you, don't be concerned about being disappointed with God. Be concerned about not being disappointed enough with the current state that we are in. man, We are, as Christians, man, there's so many of us who are living unsurrendered lives, who are living weak lives, half-hearted lives, lives that are not sold out for Jesus. And my goodness, that's the disappointment that should be concerning us, not disappointment that God won't pull through. Man, what do we have to lose in praying that God will pour his spirit out? we got nothing to lose, and we have everything to win. And so that is why the church must pray. The church on its knees is absolutely invincible. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevent against her. And so who here wants to raid hell? Who wants to take it back for King Jesus? Because he is alive and his spirit is here and we just need to step in to be who we are and pursue him hard through our prayer and our fasting. So that is why we're calling the church to pray. I don't want to see any more people perish in hell. I don't want to see any more injustice on our streets. I don't want to see any of that. I want to see the mercy and the grace and the love of Jesus Fill this city to the point it gets right to the foot of the cross that is on that hill. That he would flood it again, not with water, but with his presence. Till all of this city comes to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and know him for who he is. God, will you fill this place with your spirit? And so are you in? This is essentially, are you contending for a rave of revival to hit this city like that? That's what I want to be about. Jesus said, he said that... To the woman at the well like we will become in us there will become in us a spring of water welling up to eternal life and then later he says that the hour is coming and is now here the hour is coming and is now here it is now here that you can be in you a spring of water welling up to eternal life by the power of the spirit and that is what i want for us now and so will you join us and praying for that 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 would be a reality in your city i don't know what else we got to talk about if we are not talking about the spirit of god moving what are we doing what are we doing like like, let's stop this and let's actually earnestly seek the face of god because we got what else do we got to live for i mean we're all just stuck in lockdown this is just my goodness my goodness it's time to press in and seek the face of god i want to see his presence just set this place on fire Oh, my goodness. Oh, Lord, send your Spirit. Send your Spirit on us more, I pray. Send your Holy Spirit us even more, I pray, Lord Jesus. For the sake of your Son, Jesus, open the windows of heaven and alight us with your Holy Spirit, that we would burn bright for you to the point that we say, no more, Lord, no more, Lord, because we are so overcome by your Spirit, we think we might just die. God, send your Spirit on us, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.